This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Friday, July 21st, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you to help you become a better investor, make the most of your capital and your time, and helping you eliminate the counterproductive habits that so many people fall victim to, such as emotions driving the decision-making, chasing headlines, chasing returns, things like that. So today is about you and helping you take that next step in your own journey to financial freedom and your quest to financial freedom. So I'm here to answer your finance and investment questions and give you my unbiased perspective and data developed with more than over 20 years of investment experience. And of course, this podcast is your opportunity to bring to light what is on your mind. What decisions are you contemplating? What explanations are you clamoring for? These are all ready to, for you to be put on the table. So let's get started. I'm ready to tackle your questions on our anytime listener line. As always, it never closes. It's 888-99 chart. Now, our main focus point today looks at the story behind this question. Is it time to move away from bonds in your portfolio? So we're going to look at the various pros and cons, just like anything, with bonds right now. We're going to look at short-term, long-term, cash, etc. And cash is yielding 5% for the first time in over a decade. Uh, nearly two decades. And what does that mean for your portfolio and your strategy as a whole? Now, time permitting, I do want to dig into what are average investors feeling about equities and especially the the growth stocks. And we're going to look at uh, some indicators there. Also, antitrust, antitrust trends within Washington. There's new draft guidelines that are laying out the rules of the road for M&A, especially by large companies and private equity. So we're going to look at that and what that might mean for the market as a whole. And then consumer sentiment. It's been rebounding, and we're going to look at why that is. All right. Now, that's what's on the docket for me, but obviously it's about you. We're going to get to your voice bank questions as well. One is about our house, ARHS, and the VYM, the Vanguard High Dividend Yield ETF. So we're going to look at that as well as some excerpts from the newest KPP Premium Newsletter that comes out tomorrow. So I have this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and of course, your live calls as well at 888 chart Now let's take a quick look at the market today. It was a very mixed day. The broad markets were, were very flat overall. And 
let's see, the S&P closed up one, one and a half points, but well off of its highs in the day and actually right near uh, the lows of the day. So that's interesting, especially going into today was option X, which there's a lot of kind of game playing and, and maneuvering and jockeying for position uh, as options expire. And so it's not surprising to see uh, kind of a flat, very mixed day overall. Uh, this These are days that you don't really get much signal one way or the other, and we'll see how we uh, enter next week, which uh, typically means after option X, there's a new a new market, right, with new uh, positioning being put on and managing towards the next option X, which would be next month. So uh, that was the market today. Definitely the growth side of the market underperformed. You had uh, some big lo- losers like Rivian. Uh, was down 2%, Sirius XM up down 9%. Uh, what else was down big? AutoNation down 12%. You had, let's see, what else? You had some gainers. Uh, those are kind of mixed as well. So there's no, not a whole lot of trend that you can really take from today. If you look at the 10-year, that was down one basis point. It continues to kind of pull back after the dip or dip, the rally above uh, the 4% level in the 10 year. Now we ended the week at 3.84. All right. That was the market today and this week and uh, next week it will be, I think an exciting one with the fed announcement coming up. I believe Wednesday. Yep. All right. That was the market today. And we're going to head to our first listener question now at eight at eight ninety nine chart. Hi, Steve, Justin, and Luke. This is Kay from New York. Just calling in about a question on an India e-commerce ETF, symbol INQQ, with Apple making a lot of its company's production shipped over to India and population growth and average age being under 35. I was just wondering what you thought about the stock. Coming off a pretty nice low, and it seems like for the most part, it's got a nice future. Timeline is about 30 plus years as I'm in my late 20s. So just wanted to get your take. Thank you. All right. This is India Internet and E-Commerce ETF, INQQ. And what's interesting here is that while the name is Internet and E-Commerce, if you look at the exposure, about 25% of the fund is technology. 18% would be communication services. 22% consumer cyclical, 21% financial services. So that's interesting. And 8% industrial, 5%, sorry, 8% energy, 5% industrial. So it's not just in the e-commerce and internet space. I think this is more of a broad India play. Now, what's interesting here, it's very concentrated. Only 25 names in this portfolio, actually, sorry, 29 names in the portfolio. So pretty limited overall. Reliance Industries, which is actually a steel producer, they are number one, uh, so about 8%. Uh, I like, I do like India uh, above China, I will say that, in the emerging markets. The, the issue with them, with Indi- issue with India overall is lack of infrastructure. And I know that Apple and, and other kind of companies, Foxconn, are, are trying to set up more uh, manufacturing facilities there. 
but they just don't have a ton of infrastructure that can make that happen, I think, on a large scale. They certainly have the workforce. Their demographic situation is almost the inverse of China, where China is now entering a, a mode where their population is shrinking. India has a very good demographic situation with a lot of young people, but obviously a lot of them live in squalor, and uh, and, and that's one issue. And I... I like other parts. Let me just say, I just like other parts of the Asian region better than India. Now, the technicals are fine, and having maybe small exposure to India is, is I don't think, a bad thing. Uh, but it's not an area that I would get get on board with in a big, big way. So uh, I would be patient on it. I'd probably wait for a large pullback. This has rallied from nine and a half all the way to twelve and a half dollars in the span of four months, and I think it uh, looks like a little overbought. So. I would wait, maybe it gets back into the 1050 range. <clears throat> that would be a place I would buy it from a technical perspective. But once again, I wouldn't get too overweight India. Now we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance and investment questions now. So give InvestTalk a call at 888-99-CHART. When listener questions are played on the InvestTalk podcast... How do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it benefit the entire invest talk community thank you for what you guys do that's why 24 7 rain or shine no matter how simple or how complex your questions make a difference symbol bke what's your outlook and invest talk is made better by the power of you so don't forget to call 888-99-CHART building your financial future, but you must have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve, Justin, and Luke. This is Brian and Ruby from Marin. Wanted to get your thoughts on Foot Locker. Love the podcast. Keep it up. Thanks. All right, looking at Foot Locker and... The technicals here are not very promising. It has been, it broke down back in May from about in the low 40s, and now it's sitting about $25 per share, and it remains pretty weak. So I don't like the the technical backdrop. Earnings are expected to go from $7.27 in 2022 to last fiscal year, $4.95, and then this fiscal year, $2.04. It's a $25 stock. So you're talking about 12 times forward-looking earnings. That's not great. For something that's shrinking, revenues down 11% year-over-year, earnings down 56% year-over-year. I just don't like how volatile their business has been. They had that uh, kind of brush with Nike and Nike was going to pull their products from their stores. And that seems like they've reversed that to a, a little bit, but I don't think they get as good of products as they used to uh, into the Foot Lockers. So, you know, 
I don't love this name. Uh, I don't like the technicals. I don't like the the trends in earnings, and I don't think it's particularly cheap if you're looking at forward-looking earnings, not backwards-looking. Okay, so I would want to see the technical picture firm up, and I want to see analysts starting to upgrade their earnings going forward as opposed to downgrade them. Okay, so that was Foot Locker F L. Now let's touch on our main focus point that looks into the story behind this question. Is it time to move away from bonds in your portfolio? And I, I want to delineate here between bonds and bond funds. So we're going to look at uh, the landscape within the fixed income world and cash or, or your short-term high yield savings account or money market account. That would be fixed income fixed for a, a period of time. It might be very short-term, but short-term high-yield savings accounts and money market funds, other cash instruments, they're in many instances above 5% for the first time, once again, in nearly two decades. And what you've seen is that because rates are so high, money is flowing out of the short-term bond funds, which typically short-term, it's still kind of that one to two-year range in duration, which is still short-term but there's still some duration risk there. Whereas if you are in a high yield money market account, there's no duration risk, okay? And that's why the short-term bond fund area has hemorrhaged $19.4 billion this year through the end of June. And a lot of people are asking themselves, well, I can get 5% risk-free in treasuries. Why don't I just put my money there, especially the bond portion, which you know, sometimes some parts of the curves aren't yielding 5%. You know, you go to the 10-year treasury, for example, that's below 4%, right, with an inverted yield curve. And a lot of people only focus on that. They only focus on what you're getting today. And you have to understand that cash, it lacks duration. There's no duration there. As quickly as rates rose, they can fall, okay? And while cash might be good for emergency savings, you know, if you're not using this money for a few years, bonds can obviously lock in a decent rate for a longer period of time. Now, for me, there's a middle ground. Like it's it's having not enough duration, meaning just short-term bond fund or short-term money market funds or high-yield savings accounts. If you just have that, well, you're subject to rates falling dramatically, and that five percent can turn into two percent very quickly. Whereas if you go too far out on the curve, meaning now you're buying 30-year treasuries, for example, which are, let's see, what's 30-year treasury yielding right now? That's at 3.9%. So still pretty low, but you're locking that in for a long period of time. That's probably too long, okay? So there's that middle ground, the intermediate, short to intermediate uh, timeframe that probably makes the most sense for investors. Now, what most people should be doing with their fixed um, fixed income allocation is to align their duration of their assets with the need for that money. Meaning, hey, if I'm going to, say, buy a house in three years, I don't want to buy short-term, have, have a short-term bond fund that could uh, go from or sorry, a money market fund that go from 5% to 2% yield very easily, I want to lock in something for maybe three years that might not be quite as much as five, but maybe it's four and a half, four and three quarters. And when it matures, I'm going to get all my money back and use it for my, my needs, okay? So that's the start of it. 
And after this break, I'm going to get to the rest of uh, this main focus point. So we're heading to a break. Give Boss Talk a call at 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now, before the break, I was touching on bond funds and how it, uh, or fixed income allocation, let's just say that, and how it's very important to align your maturity dates and your duration of those assets to when you might need the money. And for those that own individual bonds, it's usually a better way to allocate because you can target that duration that you need as opposed to a bond fund where you can. It's usually maintaining a certain duration no matter what, even if time goes on, right? Uh, if you're, if you need that money five years from now and you hold a bond fund and you buy, you might buy it now and it's a five year duration bond. Well, in two years, your duration needs are going to be three years and that bond fund is likely to maintain a five year duration throughout that time. So, uh, when you own individual bonds, it's easier to align your assets with your goals. Okay. And, if there's fluctuations in the price of those bonds over that time period, it doesn't matter for you because you're getting your interest payment and then bond matures and you get your money back. Okay. So that's the, the positive of owning individual bonds. Now, the downside is that you may buy a bond that, uh, or a series of bonds that may underperform the overall market in general. Over the long term, obviously, bonds underperform equities but with a lot lower volatility. So it depends on what your needs are. Now, in a bond fund, however, you can have permanent loss. And there's a few reasons for that. Now, the first is that funds have to manage cash flows in a way that owning an individual bond, you don't. All you have to worry about is the coupon and making sure you're getting that coupon of the bond. And then upon maturity, you get your money back. But every single day, people buy into and sell out of funds, bond funds, whether that's a ETF or a mutual fund, bond fund, it's a pooled investment. So if a lot of money flows out, like it did for short-term bonds this year, the bond fund manager might have to sell certain bonds at a loss to raise money to give back to other investors. And guess what? That locks in a loss for the holders of those bond funds. And once again, the duration is going to maintain over time. Bond matures, they're still going to go out and target a maturity around their average maturity, what they want the, the portfolio to look like. Whereas if you own individual bonds, your duration risk actually declines over time as you get closer and closer to that maturity date. Now, there's an old rule of thumb in the bond market is that you need about $100,000 to adequately diversify a bond portfolio. So that's kind of the downside is you need six figures plus in order to create a bond portfolio that is well diversified and, and laddered properly. 
and, and institutional investors can get better rates than the individual as well. So even if you want to do it yourself, it can be uh, more challenging. But, you know, we're in a unique time period where short-term cash rates are higher than longer-term rates. And that's, that's not typical. So know that longer-term, that's going to flip, right? That's what the market is pricing in, that, hey, two years from now, three years from now, your short-term cash, high-yield savings accounts, not going to yield 5%, probably going to be closer to 2 or 3%. And so if you can lock in, you know, in corporates right now, are you locking in 6.5%, for multiple years? And that's probably more attractive than 5% on treasuries in the short, short term. So no matter what your priorities are, it's important to keep in mind that bonds do outperform stocks during bear markets, okay, which are more often rare <laughs> than the norm. So understand that. So there's still a place for certain people that want lower volatility in their portfolio. Now, it's Friday, so we generally do a quick rundown of key benchmarks. The two-year yield at 4.84%. It was 4.76% last week, so up just a bit. Two weeks ago, it was at 492 so down a bit uh, from a couple weeks ago, but well above, well up from 1.96 70 weeks ago. 82 weeks ago, it was at about 0.64%. So you can see how quickly... Yields can rise, and once again, they can fall just as quick. The 10-year at about 3.73. 80 weeks ago, it was at 1.76, but the high uh, about let's see, 36 weeks back was around 4.25%. Gold up about the 1963 ounce, up from 1955 last week, and up from 1806, 73 weeks ago. Silver was also up this week to 2469 from 24. 30 and that's starting a nice little uptrend oil was about 77.25 starting its uh, uptrend last week was at 75.42 so it's starting to gain a little traction over the past three months when three months ago it was trading at about 66 and change gasoline on average nationally three dollars and 58 cents that's up two cents from last week and that continues to Bounce higher from the lows just uh, 20 weeks ago at $3.39. Here in California, $4.88 per gallon, up $0.04 from two weeks ago. Now, Steve and I are thankful for your podcast support and our free downloads will always continue. But I want to make you aware of two other ways to find our material and unbiased guidance. We have a YouTube channel and an Instagram following. So head over there and just search Invest Talk. Now, the phone lines are open for you. So give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Yes, this is Mike from Texas. I'm calling about RS Inc., ticker ARHS. I'm looking at it as a potential growth stock. It's a relatively new publicly traded company. It's only been publicly traded for the last few years. Everything seems to be trending in an upward direction. Their revenue, uh, they seem to have a great return on equity, great return on assets. 
and invested capital. Just curious on what your thoughts are for the company over the next five to 10 years or so. Thank you. All right, looking at our house, which is a, it's a retailer for premium home furniture. And I've actually bought a few things from our house over the past couple of months. Uh, I don't know if you know what purchased the house over the past few months and obviously getting new decor, new furniture, uh, along with other outlets besides just our house. But um, they have some good stuff. And if you look at the performance of their business, it is very strong. Like you said, return on assets, 17%, which is very, very high and continues to be on the rise. They don't have much debt in their balance sheets, but their free cash flow does remain negative, but obviously they continue to to grow. Uh, it just actually dipped into the, the, the negative territory. So that's kind of one issue that I see. Earnings are expected to drop 25% this year from uh, $1.02 to $0.76. Cents. So the growth is slowing. And if you look going forward, multiple on $0.76 cents is somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 times. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty good. I like that it doesn't have a lot of debt on its balance sheet. I like the profitability metrics that you're talking about. It, it does seem like earnings are going to slow based on analyst expectations and, and obviously the slowness in the housing market. And the big question is, what is their growth driver? There's a competitor to our house that's also very big. Their growth driver is they're going overseas and expanding into Europe where our house uh, has not done that yet. So uh, certainly much smaller. It's a it's a competitive uh, environment, but I like that they're, I like the trend in their business. Let's just say that. Uh, now the technicals are a bit choppy. Uh, overbought looks like it's probably going to pull back from here. Uh, but around in the $9 range, I would probably pick it up. And now it's at 1109. So I think there's some uh, choppiness headed for the markets over the back half of this year, and that might give you an opportunity to get into our house. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up, but not near term. I think it's ready for a pullback. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on sentiment within the markets. And we know that this year, up until really the last two, three days, the the growth side of the market, the tech stocks have really powered higher. The meme ETF, the Selective Roundhouse Meme Stock Index, that's up 67% this year. Levels not seen since May of last year. So uh, over highest levels in over a year. Still well off of its high, but it holds names like Riot, uh, Bitcoin Miner Riot Platforms, Lending Platform, Upstart, Coinbase, Rivian, Carvana, and most of those names lose money and are serial issuers of new shares, which you know, I call it Ponzi Finance, and that's what the, it's made up of, and a lot of those names are up big this year. But that trend looks to be reversing, and just at the time when most investors are starting to get a lot more bullish. Bullish sentiment. If you look based on how investors expect the market to look over the next six months, it's the highest it's been since November uh, of, of of 2021. Excuse me. Okay, so the bull bear spread, the difference between investors who see the stock market higher over the next six months, has been positive for six consecutive weeks. Once again, the longest streak since November of 2021. 
And fear remains very low. The put-call ratio, the VIX index is now below 14. Anything below 20 means there's not a lot of demand for insurance downside in the markets. And so downside protection is very, very low. And the daily swings of the S&P hasn't been this small since late 2021. You're getting the theme here. Okay. And if you look at my YouTube video, I think it was two weeks ago. I actually talked about this, how you're starting to see this shift in the market, in the charts that, hey, the month of, what was it, the month of June? Yeah, the month of June, growth to value was flat. It was growth didn't outperform value, value didn't outperform growth. It was pretty much even throughout the, the, the month. And that was the first time since February. And you're starting to see that weakness and that you saw the follow through with earnings so far this earnings season. A lot of names reporting earnings and, and struggling. Even if their previous earnings were pretty good, their projections and what the market was pricing in uh, were, were didn't meet expectations. You know, Netflix is a good example. Right? Even NVIDIA starting to roll over after earnings. So the lack of follow through to the upside after a big run, after earnings, basically tells you that all the good news is priced in to the space. So I wanted to highlight that because it is a new trend that it's emerging, a reassertion of the trend from 2022. So I do expect the back half of 2023 to look a lot more like full year 2022 than the first half of this year. Right. Now, the KAPP Premium Newsletter was finished today, but it will be distributed tomorrow to subscribers. And we have a preview. In the market conditions section, we explained that U.S. equities ranged higher in midday trading today following a mostly lower session on Thursday. The Dow rose for a ninth straight session, marking the longest winning streak since August 2017. Treasuries were mixed. The dollar index was up about 0.3%. Gold declined on the day, but the FT, uh, but what WTI crude was up 0.9%, headed for the fourth consecutive consecutive weekly gain. That's one of the reasons why we're seeing the shift: is dollar down, tailwind to the commodity space, which had been feeling a headwind for uh, many months since the dollar bottomed uh, late last year, and now you're starting to see that breakdown once again. So. That's going to mean money flowing probably more into uh, the the growth side of the market. Sorry, the, the value side of the market, the commodity side of the market. Now the Nasdaq was let's see. Uh, there's there was not great news out of the tech sector. Like I said, Tesla, Netflix disappointed with earnings, uh, leading the Nasdaq's largest one day drop in over four months. That was on Thursday. That was yesterday. As the tech heavy index declined two point one percent just yesterday. And you had a little bit of fall through today. Now, on the housing front, price of new homes are now matching the price of old homes, just as sales of pre-owned homes in the U.S. declined by 3.3% in June compared to May. And that's the lowest, slowest summer pace since 2009. Now, the housing market weakness is primarily due to critical shortage of supply, with just a little over a million homes available for sale at the end of June, 13.6% less than 12 months ago. So it's just showing you that, yes, the housing market is weak, but it's not a meltdown because 
inventory just remains very, very low. And it's very hard to have major declines in prices. You have minor declines in prices. It's hard to have major declines in prices when there's just not a whole lot of sellers out there. Okay. Now, the next Fed hike might be the last. According to a poll of 106 economists, the Federal Reserve is expecting to raise its benchmark interest rate by 0.25% on the 26th. The majority believe that it will be the last increase in the current tightening cycle. There's a lot more commentary in the, the a lot more market commentary in detail in the newsletter. Now, the stock ideas section, we highlight a manufacturer and provider of products and services for the renewable energy, residential, and ag tech and infrastructure markets. It engaged in the design, engineering, and manufacturing installation of solar racking and electrical balance systems with strong fundamentals. We have a PE ratio around 22, no debt, and $130 million in free cash flow, and a market cap right around the $2 billion mark. And we also highlight a multi-jurisdictional gaming company. The company operates wholly owned gaming entertainment properties. Its business segments are a separate geographical region. The stock market trades an attractive 11 times earnings with net margins at 18%. And we name names in the newsletter. Now, I've given you a sample teaser of the KPP Premium newsletter. And subscribers receive the full edition via email each Saturday. And you also get portfolio and portfolio management and consumer watch sections as well. Now let's go back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888 chart. Hey, Steve. Hey, Justin. This is Bruce from New York. Been an avid listener for over 15 years. One of the rules I try to follow is to sell half of my investment once I reach 100% gain. Then I get greedy and try to talk myself out of following the rule. Please look at VYM the Vanguard Whitehall Fund's high dividend yield, and give me your opinion of my next move. It is a small part of my overall portfolio. Thank you. All right, this is VYM, the Vanguard High Dividend Yield ETF. And if you look at the exposure here, about 10% of his energy, 12% industrials, that's pretty solid. Technology is only 9.6%. I like that that's uh, fairly underweight. Consumer defensive, 14. Healthcare, 13. Don't love how high those are. Financial services at 19. Base materials, only 2%. I wish that was a bit higher. So certainly an improvement over the broad indices, uh, but I don't love the fact that they're only focusing on high dividend yields. I don't like that as a main filter for an investment strategy. Now, this is well-diversified, only 462 different names. So it's about as well-diversified as uh, the S&P 500. And it sits on the value side of the market. And frankly, that's really what dividend investing is. It's value investing. If you look at the type of names that pay dividends and and uh, sustainability of dividends typically means that those businesses have uh, modest debt levels, good cash flow, good earnings, and solid businesses. And that's why uh, they're paying a dividend. So I like that it's on the value side of the market. There's, I don't, I don't hate it. <laughs> Definitely better than the broader indices. Uh, you know, is it my favorite dividend ETF out there? Probably not, but it's certainly a, a very solid one. So you could do much worse than V Y M. Now for, for those of you that are new to invest talk, let me assure you that I'm always careful to give you my straight and unbiased answer. No hidden agenda here just focused on driving you in the direction of successful investing, smart decision-making. And we know that today's investing situation is very different than 
we've seen over the past several decades. We have higher inflation now, higher interest rates, and this brings a market that for a lot of people are very confused how it affects their strategy, their goals, the odds of them retiring or, or achieving financial freedom. And so it's our goal to inform you as much as we possibly can, help you avoid the pitfalls of a volatile market. And so we can do that and bring you our topics, but most importantly, we invite your phone calls and questions on our anytime listener line at 888-989-CHART. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download. Your participation makes it unique. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve, Justin, and Luke. Hi, it's Alex here from the UK. I called in last week um, about some oil service stocks, and you guys mentioned looking at some E&P um, oil stocks. Um, I was starting my search and I was wanted to ask where you guys would advise looking, what sort of areas I have heard the Permian Basin and um, where companies are based um, and what size to be looking at. Um, I'm 36 and happy to deal with the volatility and reasonable amount of risk with these kind of stocks um, and figure a good time to get in with um, the suppressed energy prices. Uh, the two companies I looked at, both around uh, five to six billion market cap. Uh, one is Civitas, C-I-V-I, and the other is Chord Energy, um, C-H-R-D. Uh, both very similar, um, similar price to sales, enterprise EBITDA, um, very little to um, pick between the two. Um, the Civitas uh, seems to have just acquired um, some more um, sites in the Permian Basin and Chord have picked up um, some land and drilling sites from Exxon in the Williston Basin. Um, the only real difference I can see is that the um, quarterly revenue growth is, is slightly better for Chord. Would you have views on either of these and if they are a good buy? Both seem to be bouncing off their, um, I think it's 50-day uh, moving average at the moment and in an uptrend. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts if either or both are good buys and what sort of price. Thanks a lot. Look forward to the answer. Bye. All right. Looking at Chord Energy and Civitas, both in the small to mid cap EMP names. The big difference though here is where they are located. The Williston Basin that Chord operates in is in the North Dakota, Montana region. And Typically, that's a, it's a more difficult region to operate in, A, because of weather, and they just haven't seen a lot of great growth out of that region. So I don't love that they operate in that region overall. Whereas Civitas, they are a bit more diversified, mainly in the Rocky Mountain region, and that often um, has, it's easier to, to operate in and uh, also has uh, better uh, growth prospects. So. Uh, if I'm picking one or the other, Civitas and the technicals are, are better on Civitas as well with a, uh, let's see, Chord is at a relative strength of 64 and Civitas is 71. So I'm picking Civitas. Now we're going to do a break. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. 
every Invest Talk podcast is made better by your questions. So don't forget to call. And if you've never called, Justin and Steve are waiting now for your finance and investment questions. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Bobby calling in from New York. Thank you guys for all the research and advice you give. Today I was looking at MYR Group. I was hoping to get your thoughts on the company. Thanks in advance. Bye. All right. This is a small cap name, about $2.5 billion market cap. No debt in its balance sheet. I love that. And earnings are expected to go up 18% this year, 19% next year. And the big question is, what do they do? Well, they provide specialty electrical construction services, and they do transmission distribution uh, segment provides designing, engineering, procurement, construction, upgrade, maintenance, and repair services on transmission and distribution networks and substation facilities. So they work with your uh, utility company to upgrade, maintain, and install new new systems. And I love this business. I love what they do. However, it's already up from it, the pandemic low of $25 per share. Now it's $149 per share. The fall of last year, it's around $85 per share. So it's nearly doubled in less than a year. And if you look at the multiples it's trading at, it's just a bit rich. It's price to book value is 4.3. Historically, it trades closer to two. So based on that, it's, it's about a 100% over, sorry, 50% overpriced. Uh, if you go based on enterprise value to EBITDA, you're at 14 times. Historically, this trades closer to eight times. I just think it's too expensive. Uh, I love the business. I just think you have to wait for this to come back towards you. Uh, the, the next support level, and it does look like it actually recently topped. If you look at the daily chart, you have what is called, a, we call it a topping tail, where that was four days ago. Was that Tuesday? I'm not sure if they came with earnings, but it spiked up, closing at the low of the day, and it hasn't been able to gain much traction since then, and looks like it might have some follow through to the downside. Major support would be a ride around $120 per share. Now it's a $149. At that level, it might it's a lot more interesting technically. And fundamentally, it's not it's probably would still be modestly overvalued, but not very overvalued at, at $150 right now. So I'm passing on MYRG, but I'm definitely keeping on my watch list because I like this type of company. All right. Thanks for the call. And let's talk a bit about some new guidelines coming down the pipe from the FTC. And this is your antitrust authorities. This was issued on Wednesday, and it spells out new guidelines on how to police mergers, proposed mergers. And this really hits on large tech companies, okay? It actually specifically addresses social media networks and other platforms that connect users and uh, users or buyers and sellers. And it questions whether the platform owners should be able to acquire companies that sell on the platform because they could create some sort of incentive to favor that platform's own products or services. This is kind of the Amazon model where they have created their own private label brands to sell on Amazon. And then in the rankings, they favor Amazon's products ahead of 
the other people that are selling or other companies selling on Amazon's platform. What Amazon's been done over uh, over the years is basically they learn what's selling hot, and they don't have to put any bit any any uh, investment forward in order to understand what is selling because they see all the algorithms. They they know exactly what their sellers are selling and which ones are hot and which ones aren't. And then they go in there and they undercut them in price and and produce the same thing with Amazon's own label. Okay, and so that's one area that they're trying to crack down down on. Also, it's addressing big companies or investors that buy up a series of competing smaller firms. This is happening big in the private equity world. These are called roll-ups. And you might see this happens a lot in the medical field. So uh, they might go in and buy all the dentists within a particular region. And so, hey, if you live in that region, you have these dentists to go to and they can jack up the prices and, and, and increase their margins. You know, and they have scale. And so these... The guidelines are really trying to address this, and I really think it's going to hurt uh, the, the, the M&A activity going forward. And honestly, I think it would create a more competitive market and probably better for the overall economy. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking shows success. This is Invest Talk. Enjoy your weekend. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.